0: Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Let's get to our sermon today. And uh, we're in Genesis 25, and we're looking at a a, a passage that's pretty well known to everybody. It's the uh, situation where Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. And um, we've entitled this valuing our birthright to prevent despising it. And, and the fact that Esau is being depicted as a man that sees his birthright, to be able to carry the Abrahamic covenant, as nothing to him. He doesn't care. But his younger brother, Jacob, wants it. And he desires the things of God and the agenda of God. And, and, uh, and what we're, we're supposed to take from this is a twofold thing. It explains what's going on, again, more in the Middle East and around the world because the descendants of Esau, they they didn't want anything to do with the Abrahamic covenant, but they want parts of the Abrahamic covenant which include the land, and that becomes an issue, as you can see, with the the, the Palestinians, the Gaza, and all that stuff. So it it dovetails into what we're seeing on the ground. Then on the personal application, what I want you to take away from all of this is that you have a birthright. And your birthright is if you're a believer, you're a child of God, okay? And, and so you have that, but what happens is in your birthright, it brings responsibility. It brings a duty. It brings, it brings those kinds of things that bear in on us that we are to be the salt and light. We are to confront evil. We are to um, uh, try to change our community from going crazy and, and following Satan to following God. And what you see with Esau is he doesn't want anything to do with that. He could care less about the agenda of God or people being on the side of God. He just wants to live for himself, do his own thing, be his own man. And he's completely self-centered. He's completely selfish. And this is why he despises his birthright. And this is why Jacob ends up getting it. So we're going to learn a lot. Now, the first thing you're going to learn uh, is, is uh, right in the text, a dysfunction, a dysfunction. And a lot of the patriarchs' families, obviously, they have good qualities and stuff like that, but then they'll, then they'll illustrate a, a dysfunction, a family dysfunction. You're like, whoa, that's bad. And yeah, it is bad. And one of the dysfunctions that you're going to see today is favoritism. Favoritism is a major problem. And, if, and, and why does it play into the patriarchal families? Well, it, 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 it's, it becomes a threat to the line of the Messiah, so once, once God has established the Abrahamic Covenant and all of a sudden from that Abrahamic Covenant is going to come Jesus one day, the line is threatened. And we know Satan will threaten it and other outside or, uh, situations will threaten it. But internally, the line gets threatened by its own people because of favoritism. And, and so God has to work through that situation and, and you'll see it in the text about what's going on here. But again, it, it'll be a good application before we begin. So here's the example of the favoritism. So the boys obviously are born to uh, uh, Rebekah and Isaac. And the first thing out of the box is this. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So now we have a problem. Now, in the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew idiom of love and hate... Um, it's not the emotional love that we're talking about. It's, it's, um, it's a, a preference, it's a priority that one is selected over the other. And in this case, one is selected over the other because of some type of affinity or whatever. And In, in Isaac's case, he selects Esau, he prefers Esau over Jacob because the guy brings him food back from the hunt. And really it says because he ate of his game, it says because the, literally the food in, in Isaac's uh, mouth. So Isaac then starts favoring Esau. Even though Esau is a brute of a man, he likes the food that Esau provides. So there's some favoritism going on. Then with Rebekah, she prefers Jacob and we're not given a reason why. We can assume maybe this goes back to the birth of the twins. And she's favoring him because God said the older shall serve the younger. And, and, and basically a prediction that the younger is basically going to be the one that carries the Abrahamic covenant. So maybe that's why she does it. But it doesn't say. We don't know. All we know is there's a problem here. And this problem gets really twisted quick because of the favoritism. And let's, let's talk about this. Because this is where I think as families, as, as uh, people in, in employment, favoritism is a big problem. We call it nepotism, okay? And basically, it's the idea of giving preferential treatment to somebody because you get some type of worldly benefit from that. And it can come in a positive form and negative forms. And so what happens is you favor somebody and then you ignore the other ones. And a lot of times, you're ignoring merit, okay? So I'll give you an example. Uh, you, know, like, you, you see this in sports. When my, 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 my boys were going through sports, and they're playing basketball and baseball and football and all this stuff, all of a sudden, you'd see this favoritism going on in the sports. And you would see some daddy coach start coaching a team because then they would make their son the quarterback, just to let him play, you know what I mean? You'd see, Or, or he's a friend of the coach, and so he's going to play, and he's like, this dude's no good. Uh, but yet they would play him over the other kids that were better. So it wasn't based on merit, it was based on nepotism. And then if you go into the work world, you become an adult, dude, you'll see nepotism all over the place, man. Uh, the good old boy system, as they call it. You'll see the good old boy system, like on city councils, You'll see the good old boy system on boards, school boards. And this is what we're kind of fighting at the school board system because there's this old good old boy and they're appointing their own guys and junk like that. And you're like, dude, that's total nepotism. This is not based on merit. This is based on who you know, uh, not what you know. And then, then you bring it down into families. And this is where it really starts hurting people. Uh, somebody in the family is getting preferential treatment and everyone else is being ignored. And and, and it's funny, you know, the application is then, well, let's not allow nepo babies. We call them nepo babies, nepotism. Uh, So that's the application, but we have to be uh, guarding ourselves about this, not only in our families, but in our employment and and, in the selection of people. We have to go by what God says. Who is the best candidate? Merit system. This is what wokeism is about, Right, the diversity, equity, inclusion is not based on merit. It's based on skin color. It's based on victim groups and stuff like that. It's not based on merit. So we're going to have a major problem. Especially like if you put it in a very uh, let's 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 do nepotism in medicine. What 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 kind of problems could we possibly have with nepotism in medicine? oh, yeah, we don't have the most qualified. We just have some dude that got into med school that doesn't have the right grades, but because of their skin color, they're allowed in. Do I really want that doctor? Or how about a pilot? They have relaxed the, the qualifications for airline pilots based on skin color. That's crazy. Because if I relax the, the, the qualification, do I really want to get on that plane? Ha, 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 you see the problem. Okay, so it's a big deal, it's a problem with wokeism and Marxism, obviously. But here's the thing about favoritism, and this picture kind of catches it all. <laughs> favoritism, the, the only one that says it doesn't exist in the family are the ones getting the favoritism, right? Everyone else knows where the favoritism's going, except the one that's being favorite. Huh, and then you look in families, and these are family portraits, and you can obviously tell in family portraits who's the favorite. Somebody is not the favorite in this picture. How about this one? I, can think, I think I know which one is not the favorite. Or how about this one? I think the cats are really the favorite in this one. Really? Or how about this one? They all seem to be dressed the same, except one doesn't seem to be fitting in on the whole picture here. And then, so anyway, all joking aside, um, it's it's prevalent. Favoritism sometimes is intentional or unintentional. The person doesn't even know they're doing it sometimes. They're just blinded by it. And so they give the preferential treatment at the neglect of the other one. And then really, when you start digging down into it, it's an issue of bonding and detachment issues. Let me explain. Here's what happens in parenting. So we'll, 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 we'll get this from parenting because this is what's going on with uh, Re- Rebecca and Isaac. One parent is viewing the chi- one child better than the others. Whether that child's more attractive, looks the same as the parent, maybe has the same personality as the parent, uh, same type of kinship, they are involved in the same hobby or something like that, and so they develop this kinship. It could be like with a father that likes to go hunting, and one son likes to go hunting, but the other son is more musically inclined or whatever, and so the father tends to drift towards the, the, the child that likes to hunt versus the child that likes to play music, and the favoritism starts happening just because of the affinity, Right? You have to really guard against that. So it could be a positive reason. It also could be a negative reason as well. Um, parents sometimes parent out of remorse and guilt. And so they they, they they tend to favor one of the kids because they feel sorry for one of the kids. And that ends up causing favoritism and the ignoring of the other ones because they feel sorry for one, right? Uh, or then there's some other type of a negative emotion attached to the other kids that, that that disassociates the parent from the child. And so they become unfavored. And so what happens, what we see with parenting, is that they will bond to their favorite child and then attach emotionally, mentally, and physically from the unfavored child. They're there, but they're just detached from them. And so what happens then at the heart of favoritism is rejection, okay? So when I counsel men, the number one thing that they have is rejection, and a lot of times they got it from their parents uh, from their dad or their mom and they were rejected growing up because someone you know the parents had a favorite and they were the black sheep of the family or or they just were ignored or whatever you know it could be as simple as being ignored but they but parents do this and this is what they found with parents okay the parents generally want ease and comfortability when they're parenting children, okay? So the parents naturally gravitate to the more compliant child as being their favorite. Not all the cases, but in general, okay? This is what they have found. So if you get a child that's strong-willed, and both my boys were strong-willed as, as goat's breath, man. They were stronger than goat's breath raising them. And uh, and what happens is, if the parent doesn't want to exercise the... the uh, the amount of effort it takes to corral a strong-willed child versus a compliant child, um, they will tend to push back against the strong-willed child. But let me tell you this: Don't ever do that to a strong-willed child because you need to shape that strong will, because that strong will will be able to be, able to be in the community fighting against the idiots out here. So you don't want to ever just douse that strong will. That strong will is meant to be a leader and to push against the thing. Make no mistake, it's typically your strong-willed children that will make differences, not your compliant children because typically compliant children are compliant with the culture. That's the problem. So don't, don't squash those strong will. They're harder to raise, no doubt about it. Very hard to raise. But man, you can trust them on their own when they're out there, okay? So what tends to happen, parents are lazy. And because they're lazy in their parenting, they typically gravitate to the more compliant child and pull away from the strong wills. And again, that's just the parenting tip, right? But this is what's going on in in the patriarchs. And what's happening is it threatens the line of the Messiah because of this plain favorite stuff, okay? So it's a big deal. It has spiritual implications. What's the key before we move on? The key is, number one, you've got to be aware of it. You've got to be able to tell yourself, I can't practice favoritism. Not only in my family, but I can't practice at work. I can't hire people just because they're my buddies. Uh, I can't hire people just because I get along with them. I've got to hire the most qualified individual. That's how you have to work. And in the family, I've got to make sure I don't do that. Well, what what happens? You have to be a connector. You have to learn to connect. Connect. You have to know all these aspects of empathy and understanding and emotional availability, uh, offering gestures of affection, acceptance, unconditional love, truth, and correction to all the kids. You just can't give someone and then the other one's neglect. You have to be on point and task. And most parents, if they will be on task and be aware of it, will catch it. They'll make sure it doesn't happen. But most of the parents are clueless. It's easy even happening. And you can see it right in front of you. Some parents don't think their favoritism is there, but then it's right in front of you and that's all they do is talk about one child and yet they have four kids. And all they talk about when you talk to them is about that one child. Oh, he's so great or she's so great, yada, yada. Yeah, but you have three other kids. What about them? "Eh." It's that kind of mentality. Careful about that. It's rejection and it hurts people, really does hurt people because I end up spending counseling time with people that are hurt because of this. Now let's go to the birthright issue. So now, now we have a dysfunctional family, and here's a dysfunctional guy, Esau. And we're seeing the descendants and how dysfunctional they are right in front of your very face, okay? Remember, the descendants of, e- of Esau mixed in with the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Keturah, okay? So the people that are surrounding Israel and now all over the planet because of immigration, are the descendants of this guy that you're seeing right here. Let's watch. Now, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field and was, was weary. Now, the interesting thing, the Bible is portraying him as a hunter. Esau comes in from the field, but guess what kind of hunter he is? Not very good because he didn't, he didn't catch anything and didn't find anything. So he comes back empty-handed. Again, it's always showing the ineptitude of Esau. So Jacob's cooking. And uh, he was weary as the idea is he's just tired from the hunt. Okay, nothing, nothing big there. But here's where it gets interesting. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew for I am weary. Now, the way you translate this in Hebrew, the e- English is horrible on this. It's la'at uh, in Hebrew. And, and the la'at means to gulp down or to like cram the food down one's throat like an animal, like a dog eats. Your dogs don't chew. They just gulp, right? That's what it's trying to say about Esau and, the, and with the same red stew. And this is, it's not translated stew. It's red. It's red, red. And basically, because he's so animal-like, he doesn't even care what's in front of him. He's basically saying, let me gulp down the red, red. That's what he's saying in the Hebrew. He's just like an animal, uh, for I am weary. And what it's trying to show you is that this guy is a brute beast. He's, he's, he's just, he's like a dog. He's like an animal. He's animal-like in his behavior. Uh, and he just shoves food down his mouth, shoves food down his throat, like, a, like, a, like a, some type of beast or something like that. So the picture then, it says, therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. So he's called red as, as a nickname, but his people are called red and it's trying to imply that his descendants are just like him. They are animal-like in their behavior. They are like unrefined brutes with the same temperament. Allah Hamas. You can't mistake it. It's that kind of temperament, okay? That's what Esau is like, okay? He's a brute beast type of guy, very unrefined. So again, just like we're seeing all over the world, the descendants of Esau and Ishmael are everywhere doing this anti-Semitic protesting all over the world, and it's gotten crazy. It hasn't lessened up. It's like on the fifth week now, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. This is London. London has turned into Londonistan, okay? They have been taken over by the descendants of Ishmael and Esau, Look at the crowds. All chanting to the river, to the sea, right? And like the Breitbart points out, this is an existential cultural chasm. Yeah, that's right. This is a cultural chasm. We have people that are supporting terrorists. This is a problem. And then in these, these signs that they're making, look what they say. Either you're on the white or the right side of history. So white is considered Jewish, American, Britain, French versus Islamic countries, okay? This is the mentality. This is Esau's mentality. The brute beast kill the Jews, hate Jacob, you know, that type of thing. Look what's happening in New York. Pro-Palestinian demonstrators smashed Grand Central Station, vandalized New York Times. Oh, I thought these are just peaceful purpose. No, they're on the level of Antifa. They're on the level of BLM. Okay? So if you send your kids to UCLA and you spend $40,000, $45,000 paying their tuition, this is the kind of things they're doing on the campus of UCLA. This is Benjamin Netanyahu as a piñata and they're beating them. This is your $45,000 going to UCLA. This is what they're learning. Do these idiot kids even know what they're doing? Do they know they're wearing uh, terrorist scarves on their head? That's sickening. They don't even know. Since October, anti-Semitism and violence towards Jews has skyrocketed, okay? I didn't put the stat in because I got it yesterday, so I wasn't able to put it on my slide. In October, in the United States, anti-Semitism attacks went up 400%, okay? 400% in the month of October, and are continuing. London, Londonistan, 1350 increase of anti-Semitic crimes. In New York alone, two hundred forty fourteen percent increase in New York. It is 1948, Kristallnacht. That's what it is. That's what's happening, okay? Because the descendants of Ishmael and Esau are on the war, pay, uh, war, uh, the war path. Now, here's the thing. People say, well, Brandon... It's just peaceful protests and they're not saying to the river to the sea they're in peaceful protests and you're lumping them all together am i listen to this reporter putting pierce morgan on on his heels
1: Difference isn't there well there is but i don't think that all of these protesters are right. pro
0: Hamas.
2: and the difference the difference yeah, is I, whether I or not making, you have a large artillery behind yeah,
1: but you, you wouldn't you don't honestly think they're all pro Hamas? these people well, I,
2: I, I think that anyone who, for instance, chants things like from the river to the sea is, is in fact... Yes, but uh, they're not all describe, doing that. ...or is criminally ignorant. Oh, well, they are. I mean, there's masses of videos of them marching past Westminster Abbey last week saying exactly that. Yeah, but they're not uh, all doing it. Marching past the of Winston Churchill I, I, last I, I've week I've watched the videos exactly and there are well, lots of people well, okay, well, here, chanting well, here's, well, here's and some a, who okay, aren't. Well, here's a challenge. OK, well, here's a challenge, Piers. If you decided to go on some kind of march mm-hmm. and in week one you discovered that you had the B np along your side calling for instance for the murder of all black people would you not wonder whether or not you should go on week two would you not drop out by about week three i'd have thought so i would that's a good question
0: uh, and <laughs> yes i would yeah that is a good question by week number two and three when they're chatting death to, to israel and 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 to the river and the sea i'm not going to be a part of that but yet Every weekend, we see more and more joining the cause, chanting it, I'm sorry, we have a problem. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Now, people, this is weird, man. This is the weirdest thing I'm seeing in my commentaries. It's almost an uh, uh, anti-Semitic view towards Jacob. And the interesting thing is, if you know the Jewish background, you know this Jewish culture, and you understand the, the time frame in which this was happening... According to the Nubi tablets and the Code of Hammurabi, which was the law code at the time, okay, the Mosaic law code had not been put into place for Israel because this is the patriarch period. But during that period of time, it was legal to sell your birthright. You had every reason, you could could do that. You You could sell it. And typically a birthright, you got double portion of the inheritance. And if you didn't want that, you could easily sell it. And a lot of people actually did, by the way. So what you're seeing here is, this is an illegal transaction. There's nothing wrong with it. And unfortunately, the commentaries that, that I'm reading are anti-Semitic because they say, well, Jacob is taking advantage of him. He's hungry. He's about to die. And this poor guy, Esau, he's going to die and faint if he doesn't get any food. And so he's, he's, he's uh, taking advantage of him. Typical, typical liar Jacob. Oh, my goodness, that is so anti-Semitic. That's not what the text is saying, and it's not what the background's saying. Here's what the background is saying. This has been going on with the guys for a long time. And this guy, Esau, he, he, he didn't care about it. And so Jacob knows that. And he says, look, man, sell me your birthright. I'll buy it from you. You don't want to carry the, 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 the Abrahamic covenant from our, our grandfather Abraham and, from, and to Isaac? I'll carry it. You don't want anything to do with it? I'm fine. Let's sell it to me then. It's a, it, it, nothing wrong with this absolutely nothing wrong, okay? So since we're talking about birthright, now let's just put it in our, 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 our lap. You're like, okay, I'm not in the Abrahamic covenant per se like they are, but you are in one sense. You are now in the Abrahamic covenant via the new covenant, and you now have a birthright in the new covenant. The birthright is right here in John 1, 12. But as many as received him, believed in him, right?, To them, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So if you have come to faith in the Messiah, you have been given a birthright. You have actually been adopted into the family of God. Your adoption finally waits when you're glorified, but you are a child of God. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's the same thing as it means for the birthright for Jacob and Esau. If you take the birthright on, you take on the responsibility of that new covenant or the Abrahamic covenant, and the, you take on the agenda of God in your life. That's what it implies. This is what Esau does not want. He does not want his life disrupted by the agenda of God because ultimately what God's doing through the Abrahamic covenant is blessing people spiritually, wanting them to come to faith in the Messiah and be saved and experience the abundant life. Esau doesn't want anything to do with that. I could care less about people is his mentality. Wow, what a selfish individual. Bingo. You're right. He's self-centered. He does not care about anyone else. Jacob actually cares about others. He takes the responsibility on and he's going to have to confront evil. He's going to have to deal with evil and bear that responsibility of being salt and light and then being able to bless others. That's your birthright too. You have a responsibility, you have a duty, you have an agenda, and it is God's, right? That's what it's all about. So again, this, the sad part is, even Christians who have been born again sometimes don't honor their birthright. And look, look at the cultures doing. The culture's lost. They don't, they don't know if they're coming or going. And they, so they're not on God's agenda. They have no meaning in life. And so guess what they do? They do stupid things like being guinea pigs for Elon Musk. People are signing up to put a neurochip in their brain, okay? And we've never tested this on human beings, and, and they're going to be guinea pigs. So this is the kind of mentality what happens when you don't have any purpose in life. You just sign up for anything and do stupid things. Hey, I got a, 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 a little thing for them. Why don't you put it on your forehead and your right hand and get it ready for the Antichrist? because that's what he's going to do to you, but they're lining up to do it. They're lost, clueless. But when you have a birthright, you have purpose. You have meaning, and your life is supposed to do something. All right, let's continue on. Here's the principle then. When you have this birthright that God has given you, you're to be committed to his agenda, committed to taking on that responsibility. what is it? Well, a commitment to Jesus, obviously, the Jewish Messiah. A commitment to the Great Commission, obviously. A commitment to edify the saints. A commitment to the Word of God, right? And to stand for the Word of God and to stand for truth. And then there's going to be a Jewish aspect to it, whether you like it or not. Because the Abrahamic Covenant supports the Jewish people. So your job is to support the Jewish people, support their right to the land, and support their right to exist. Simple. That's called Christian Zionism. It comes straight from the Abrahamic covenant. But yet we have Christians that are calling uh, uh, us Christians, saying we're we're not supporting the right people. We should be supporting Hamas. What? Are you crazy? Get out of here. Apparently you haven't read your Bible. But yet where, where do these people come from? I don't know. But they're definitely not supporting the Abrahamic covenant. They're not doing their duty. And then, of course, the, the, the biggest false teacher on the planet, uh, the, Catholic, uh, the, the Catholic Pope, obviously. Again, part of, uh, of our birthright is to support the Scripture, support the agenda of God. So here's a guy who claims to be supportive of God, so cr- claims to be uh, the vicar of Christ, claims to be supportive of God's agenda. But what is he doing? He comes up and says, we're going to change the dogma to include cohabitating homosexual couples as conforming to the faith. Oh, yeah. And then including transgender person can be baptized under the same conditions as other faithful. Excuse me? What? Baptizing transgenders? What? They can appear as witnesses at weddings and they can be good godparents. One must have an aptitude and lead a life conforming to the faith and responsibility they are undertaking. Excuse me, how can you take on the responsibility of being a Christian when you're a transgender? That you, you, you start off on the wrong foot. You can't even get started until you fix that. You see what's happening here? Let me ask you this. Does it evidence that he supports the agenda of God? No, he's supporting the agenda of Satan. Thank you very much. And then we know the public schools, right? The public schools don't support the agenda of God. They don't support the word of God. The schools have turned into Satan's uh, youth group. And look what they're doing. New Jersey school district, sex ed group, passes out kits featuring tucking underwear and chest binders. Oh my goodness. Am I really seeing this? Yeah, because when you don't support God, you will support Satan. And look at this. And for the guys, people online in Ohio, now, California's messed up, but you don't expect the, you know, the, the, the Midwestern states to, to be this way. But Ohio just passed, putting into their constitution, killing up a, a baby, all the way to the point of birth. Okay, Now, California already does this, but I'm shocked that Ohio's doing it. But what I'm more shocked about this is the church's silence in Ohio. They never said anything. They never organized their people to go out and vote and vote against this. And unfortunately, 25% of the white evangelicals in Ohio voted in favor of the abortion. How is that possible? We got Christians that are apparently discounting their birthright and don't support the agenda of God and they're supporting the agenda of Satan. Killing babies is according to 25% of them. Whoa, we got a problem, don't we? And then we have this. Now again, why do I bring this up? I'm giving you as an illustration. Obama claims to be a Christian. <laughs> quotes, air quotes. Goes to Reverend Wright's church for 20 years. Okay? Okay. So, if you went to a church, a Christian church, and it wasn't, it was liberation theology, we obviously know that, you should be supportive of the Abrahamic covenant because the same Bible I'm reading and teaching, you should be supporting too. But yet, what does he say? And what is also true is that the occupation, excuse me, if you read Genesis, there is no occupation. The land is given to the descendants of Jacob. But he calls them their occupation, and what's happening to Palestine is unbearable. Unbearable to who, what? Excuse me? Israel's not making their life unbearable. Hamas and Fatah and Islamic jihad is, and Iran is, not the Jews. So sorry. But when you're not on the side of God and you despise your birthright, this is the way you act. Maybe his Islamic background's kind of coming through on this one. Thank you very much. Hey. Is Biden caving into the left? Yes, he is. What's so funny? What's so funny? What's so funny? It's been 29 years since Forrest Gump. What? What? Glenn Beck came out this week and he said the real Forrest Gump is Joe Biden. I didn't say that Glenn Beck did, because he always puts himself in places he's never been. Uh, <laughs> This guy lies as easy as it is to, for us to breathe. Anywho. I do digress. But what's happening? The Pro Hamas left will not stop, and now his, his original stance on Israel now is caving in on the Pro Hamas left. And these are the descendants of Esau in front of Joe Biden's house in Delaware. Stop it.
2: No justice. No peace. No justice. No peace. Cease fire now. Go. Cease fire now. Keep going. Cease fire now.
0: Cease fire now. Cease fire now. Keep going. Cease fire now. Cease fire now. So, So the United States is putting on, on uh, uh, pressure on Israel to cease fire. You can't. Hamas is still active. There's 200 te- uh, hostages. Israel has to go in there and get them out. You can't just do a ceasefire. What are you, crazy? But see, the pro-Hamas leftist and descendants of Ishmael and Esau are putting pressure on the U.S. government. You watch. We will, we will back down because that's what he's doing right now. And then, hey, look, man, as we're honoring our veterans today, but every veteran will tell you, we get these woke Military leaders in there, like uh, Milly, and then this guy, this is uh, General Brown, he's totally woke out of his mind, claiming a prolonged war, risk turning more of the Palestinian population to terrorists. I'm just, what? Do you understand the whole area is full of terror? What are you talking about? The, 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 they support it. For goodness sakes, there's Palestinians here in Bakersfield that call themselves Christians, that are to- totally in support of what uh, 's going on in in the Gaza, totally in support, Does he not, do they not understand what 's going on in the ground? They apparently not because you're woke and they don't and exclusive here's what 's happening. The Hamas people are, are hiding among the Palestinians, and the Palestinians provide cover for them, whether it 's in a school or a hospital or in dense populations, and they provide cover for them. They know what's happening. And so anyway, civilians to get killed and then they blame Israel for it. Well, you're the one hiding among the civilians. Come out in the open, let's fight one on one, buddy. They won't do that. They're hiding behind children and women. But yet, the the, the people of Hamas support it. Now, or the Palestinians support it. Now again, I like this journalist. I, I've just found him this week, and he puts Pierce Morgan back on his heels again because Pierce Morgan is trying to make a differentiate between what's going on on the ground. Well, you know, the Gazans really don't support uh, you know, Hamas's terrorist act, uh, 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 attempts on, 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 on and killing of Jews. They really don't do that. You're fooling yourself. These are the descendants of Esau, they're brutish, they don't like Jacob. Watch what he says. What
1: concerns me about what Israel is doing is not their efforts to get rid of Hamas, but because of the particular nature of Hamas embedding themselves among civilian populations with the massive amounts of civilian casualties that will inevitably come, and that figure will grow and grow and grow. Are we not, as Barack Obama warned, are we not creating here just an opportunity for far greater radicalization of all those young Palestinians who watch their loved ones get killed. Why would we imagine that at the end of all this, they're gonna want to do anything other than to become a new version of Hamas in wanting to exact revenge for what happened to their families?
2: Well, two things. One is, that if you just follow the logic of what Barack Obama said, then you just shouldn't do anything uh, if you're Israel. You should be attacked and just sit back and say, great, we'll wait for the next one. Um, but the second and more important thing is, your question supposes that there is a sort of peaceful Palestinian population in the Gaza who would love a two-state solution and then a few bad apples in Hamas. I think that's not true. Why is it that when uh, one of the victims of the music festival, uh, a poor young German-Jewish girl, uh, who it seems was was raped and then uh, brutally uh, murdered and taken into the Gaza naked. Why was it that you can find, and anyone can find this online, uh, a crowd of ordinary Gazans, it wasn't uh, Hamas, it wasn't a Hamas rally, ordinary Gazans uh, uh, spitting on her body, uh, hitting her body, mutilating her body further as it went down the street. Does that strike you, Piers, as a uh, placid population of peacenik types who are just desperately waiting for a two-state solution to be put back on the table for the millionth time in the last 70-something years. It doesn't seem like that to me. And did you see anyone in it saying, hey, guys, stop, we're not meant to mutilate the bodies of, uh, of girls or rape them in public? No, I didn't see that. First of all, um, uh, there, there is some responsibility for the people in the Gaza. Um, if you elect, elect Hamas and, uh, and they kill uh, Fatah, and then they remain in power for all of the years afterwards, Um, I'm afraid that there is some uh, responsibility of the people in that situation. You know, uh, when the Germans uh, um, had Adolf Hitler come to power and voted for him, uh, we in Britain took the view that the German people were responsible in some way so I'm not for collective punishment per se, but nor am I for this idea that there is something unique going on in the Israeli-Gaza context, but having watched the videos of the unedited footage, uh, which I was one of the journalists um, who was sadly allowed to see the other day, I can tell you one thing Thing. The comparison between Hamas and the Nazis is insufficient. The the thing that stri- struck me, you know, Piers, about seeing the 7th of October footage, was that um, uh, even the Nazis were actually ashamed of what they did. You know, SS battalions who spent their days shooting Jews in the back of the head and pushing them into tr- uh, into trenches had to get very, very drunk in the evening to uh, uh, forget what they had done. Uh, the Nazi high command famously had to sort of get around the problem of soldier morale because the soldiers knew this wasn't exactly what their lives were meant to look like either. I tell you one very big difference. If you look at the footage, the raw, they will see something that is at least as barbaric as what the Nazis did, but here's the difference. They did it with glee. They were deeply proud. You had this situation with uh, with the Nazis, where they also were a genocidal, anti-Semitic organization, but they tried to cover their crimes up. Hamas are actually proud of them, mm. and they've said they will do them until the whole world is clear, f- clear of Jews.
0: Yeah. Amen. He, he, man, he nailed it. And it's right. That's why there cannot be a ceasefire. That's why Israel has to go in and eliminate every, uh, every Hamas person there is and, and realize that Israel will have to stand guard for the rest of that time because of the people of the Palestinians that want revenge for whatever's going on. It's, it, it just doesn't end for Israel because of the descendants of Ishmael and Esau. Now, Back to the story. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. Hyperbole, he's not about to die. This guy's not gonna gonna die. Isaac had money. He got it from Abraham. They were very wealthy. Esau could have went to the next tent and got food, okay? So don't think that that Jacob's scheming on him. He says, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? That's the focal point. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to carry the Abrahamic Covenant. He doesn't care about the things of God or the agenda. What is it to me? And and what, what he really doesn't realize is that Esau's birthright, which would pass on from the patriarchs to him, which included, obviously, the Abrahamic Covenant, there were five elements. And he didn't care about three of the elements of the Abrahamic Covenant. Let me show you. First of all, he didn't care about belonging to the Messianic line. I mean, think about this. Everybody in here, if God was saying, hey, do you want to be in the Messiah's line that you're an ancestor of Jesus? Wow, what a blessing. He didn't care. Ah. Then there's spiritual blessings and benefits that have come along with it. As you bless others, you will bless them spiritually, and then you will be blessed spiritually. It's like when you go out and you help somebody and it makes you feel real good. That's a blessing, right? He didn't care about that. He goes, ah, what is that? I could care less about blessing other people. And then the familial solidarity and heritage that that he's going to be in the line of, of it it would have been a different nation, obviously, not the Jewish nation, but it would have been a a nation that God would have used to bring the prophets, to bring the the Messiah. He didn't care about the family. He wasn't attached to his family. Jacob's more attached to his family and in solidarity with it. So this is what he discounts, because you know why? These are all spiritual aspects. He says, I don't care. What is spirituality to me? I'm a man that lives for today. I'm a man that hunts for game, and, and, and I live for now. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die is his mentality. So here's what happens. So that's one of the reasons he sells his birthright, Uh, Because he doesn't see any it doesn't benefit him in any way. But guess what happens? What he doesn't realize is that there are actually physical benefits that actually accompany this. The physical benefits is there's physical blessings that accompany those who carry the Abrahamic covenant. Let me give him an example of what I'm talking about. Today, Israel is back as a nation, as you know. Okay, they're in unbelief, and yet they are blessing us. Even in unbelief. How so? Blessing is medical. Most of your medicine is being made. They're the new Silicon Valley with technology. They are in the forefront of most technology now. They have only been in existence now for a little over 75 years now. And most of your Nobel Prizes are coming out of Israel. You can thank the Jews for most of your modern conveniences. That's how they bless the world, even in unbelief. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, how much more will they bless us if they are in belief, right? So this is the, 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 the physical blessings, okay? And because of that, he realizes this afterwards and he wants it back. And then he sees, oh, and then they get the land? Yeah, they get the land too, goofy. And he didn't miss it. And so then he realizes, oh, wait, I want the physical blessings and I want the land back and he wants it back and he, the, the dad says, can't have it back, you sold it, it's over. You swore, you gave it up and this created his animosity towards Jacob and the descendants of, of Jacob, which are the Jews, because he wants the physical blessings back and he wants the land back. Thank you very much. That's the problem you're having in the Middle East. The descendants of Esau want that land back, but they sold it. That's the problem. And so the principle then is this, for us, if we live to satisfy our physical desires, live for the temporary pleasures, you will sacrifice on the altar of that living for today your spiritual life. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of believers do. They sacrifice their spiritual life to live for today and to have the things of this world and be materialistically oriented. And they'll miss blessings in this life, spiritual blessings, and they're gonna miss the eternal rewards out of that. But here's the thing. What do you, how do you do? How do you get on God's agenda? It's about changing your value system. So you become a believer and here's your birthright. And in the family, God says, these are the things that are important in my family. They're, these things in the world are not important to me, but the things in my family, these are what are important. And so what we have to do is by faith, take what God says that is important, storing up treasure in heaven, blessing people, those kinds of things, and he says, that's what's valuable to me. I don't care if you become a billionaire, that if, and if you don't do the Great Commission, what good are you? So you start realizing, oh, I've got to transfer my value system to what God values. And if you'll do that by faith, all of a sudden, you'll be honoring your birthright. That's That's how you do that. Okay, let's continue on. Then Jacob said, swear to me of this day. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to him. So he basically swears, and in the swearing of it, that's where the transfer happens. So again, nothing wrong, very legal. This is how you would do it. And the principle is this Esau is willing to forfeit it all. He forfeits everything, he gives it away. And basically, the man wastes his life for the rest of the time. And guys, this is for everybody here if we will not get on God's agenda, we will not get on his program, you will waste your life. You will forfeit. The true meaning of life, you will forfeit your identity, you will forfeit why you're here if you decide to live for self and not for others and not on God's agenda. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of the lentils. So now we know what it is. It was beans. He went after red beans, for goodness sake, the red red. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Now notice the staccato of verbs. He ate, he drank, he rose, he went his way. You know what that's trying to say? That the deal is done. He didn't didn't say, wait a second, I don't know. No, he just went right through the transaction. Boom, 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 boom. And then he went his way and he's totally fine. Deal is done. You can't get it back. It's over now. You waste your life. You can't get your life back. You waste years in toil trying to build your kingdom. You can't get those years back and he will never get it back. That's the sad part. Thus, how does this conclude? Esau despised, or in the, the, the Hebrew is baza. He, he, had, he held it in contempt, or he saw his birthright as worthless. Sad commentary, isn't it? We don't want to be like that, obviously. And now, now when you go to the Italian prophet Malachi, No, seriously, it's the Hebrew Malachi. (laughs) Israel said, Well, God, how did you love me? And God responded, Yet Jacob I have loved and Esau I hated. And again, this is a Hebrew idiom. And again, I prefer, I chose Jacob rather than Esau. And again, Romans 2.11 says there's no partiality with God. So this wasn't a favoritism issue, right? Like his parents, right? So God has no partiality. But let me ask you this. Do you now know why God said, I chose Jacob over Esau? Totally. You totally know. This is why he told them that the boys in the womb, that this is why the older were served the younger. Because how it it comes out in their life illustrates that the older doesn't want anything to do with God. Totally makes sense at this point. So the principle is, those who view their birthright as useless will have no spiritual concern towards the things of God. They won't want to bless anybody, and they'll live for self. And here's the problem. How do I know that they're doing this, Brandon? How do I know if I'm doing this? It's real simple. If you're on God's agenda, your job is to be salt and light. Your job is to do something while everyone else is standing by. While evil is going on, those on God's agenda confront the evil. They go after it. They say, no, that's not happening here. Those sitting on the sidelines are despising their birthright because their birthright is saying, you're to be a warrior. You're to put on your armor. You're to go attack with truth in love. So, so many people are sitting back on the spiritual couch watching this all happen and simply refuse to do anything. And that cannot be you and I. So the application is live up to your birthright. Answer the call of your birthright. You're an heir of the king. Do what the king would want you to do. Your purpose, your identity, your duty, your inheritance, all because of who you are in your position. Live up to your position. And I like what Sarah Huckabee said. She had a great statement, and I want to end on this because she puts it out there to basically summarize what we're just learning about our own birthright. Listen to her very closely.
3: This message is for my friends in Israel. It's a story about an 11-year-old girl. Years ago, this girl and her family traveled to Israel. One of the last stops on their trip was Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem commemorates one of the darkest parts of human history. The Holocaust. It sits high up on Mount Herzl, often called the Mount of Remembrance. And it stands for the Jewish people killed in the Holocaust who had no descendants to carry on their name. It's pretty heavy for any kid, much less an 11 year old girl. And her parents weren't sure if she was ready for it, but they wanted her to understand the importance of standing up against evil. So they decided to bring her. The girl's father promised to stay with her throughout the entire time they were in the museum. If he said it became too much, he'd simply take her outside. As they walked through Yad Vashem, the girl watched videos of entire families being marched to their deaths. She saw the hundreds of shoes taken right off of the feet of Jewish children her own age and piled high to be burned. She listened as the names of the 1.5 million Jewish children murdered by the Nazis were read off one by one and was told it takes months to get through the full list. The 11-year-old girl didn't speak at all as she walked through each of the exhibits. She gripped her father's hand tighter and tighter. He worried that they'd made a mistake, that it was too much for her to take in and to wrap her head around but eventually they got to the end of the museum where there was a guest book for visitors to sign. The girl reached up and took a pen out of the father's shirt pocket, and he looked over her shoulder. The father watched as his daughter wrote down her name and her address, and then in careful handwriting, the little girl paused and wrote, why didn't somebody do something? Tears welled in the father's eyes, and in that moment, He knew that she got it. Very simply, why didn't somebody do something? He knew that his daughter understood. He knew that she understood that all it takes for evil to win is for good people to stand by and do nothing. I know this story and the impact it had because I was that girl. In the ongoing battle between good and evil, each of us can do something and I know each of you will. I certainly know the American people will, and we will stand with you. Together, we will stand against evil, and we will never apologize for it. With God as our witness, we know how this story ends. The enemy will be defeated, and good will prevail.
0: Amen. why didn't anyone do something? That can't be you and I. That means we must do something and live up to our birthright, amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Jacob and Esau. We saw someone despise it. We see many people, many Christians even despising their birthright by just simply not doing anything. Father, help us to be people of action, to live up, to be a child of the king, to live to what you have called us to do, to live up to our inheritance, to be salt and light in this this evil world, to stand in the gap when people won't, to be there to defend the truth, to defend Israel, to defend the church, to defend your word. Help us to do that and give us the strength to do that, Father. And Father, if there's anyone here that hasn't come to faith in in, in your son, They would come to faith in Jesus today, understanding he died on a cross for their sins and paid the full price for their sins, was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who will simply believe in him. Bless us now as we go. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.